Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. In this episode, we're going to talk about wine myths. Okay. Right, Linda? Mm-hmm. So the first on the list, wine gives you a hangover, it's the sulfites. Okay, wine absolutely can give you a hangover, but it is the alcohol that will give you the hangover, not the sulfites. Yep. We don't need to elaborate on that, do we? No. Okay, moving on. Organic wine doesn't give you hangovers. Again, it is not the case. Organic wine is the same as any other wine, commercial, natural, all the rest. They all contain sulfites because it is natural byproduct of the fermentation process. So it's the alcohol again, folks, not the sulfites. I wonder why people always think that it's the sulfites. Well, in particular with organic wine or something like that, because they feel it's going to be made a better, different way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it still has alcohol in whatever amount and same as any other bottle of wine. And as we've just said, it's the alcohol that is giving people the hangover. Okay. Any any tips for someone to um, drink water in between your glass of wine and also um, just be mindful that it's not so the same as drinking a glass of beer. Say if you're used to having beer. Um, you're you're drinking probably more volume, but lower alcohol content. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're switching to wine, you know obviously you can't drink the same volume as beer and expect to to be you fresh. Know, fresh. fresh. <laughs> it's going to have a bigger impact in terms of the alcohol. So yeah, just to, to, to just to bear it in mind, pace it, drink water. Excellent. Yeah. A very common myth that is. Uh, thrown about the place is wine always gets better with age. What are your thoughts on that? I think not necessarily. In fact, um, I think most wines are made to be consumed in their youth, as with most fresh and fruity styles of wine that we see on the shelves. Um, In order for wine to be able to um, have ageing potential and improve with age, it needs to have certain things. It needs to have structure. So that means it needs to have a certain level of acidity, um, a certain level of tannin and um, those are the, the sort of that's the backbone for having aging potential. And along with that, you need to have concentration of flavor. So um, you're really talking about a high quality wine. And um, those are the wines that are, are going to be able to improve with age. I would add that I think that, um, you know, there was I, I don't know if it's still the case, but there used to be a misconception. You know, if you saw like an old vintage on the bottle, it meant, oh, yeah, this is great wine. And again, That is only the case if you're talking about a wine that was made to age, Mm -hmm. which is not the case most of the time. So if you have a young wine that's on the shelves, um, whether that's a Pinot Grigio or Garnacha or whatever it is, and um, we're now like 2022. And if you saw that, like was it 2018, 2019, I would be worried. I'd be saying, no, this, this was supposed to be consumed within one to two years of it hitting the shelves. Mm-hmm. So straight away, there's an issue there in my book. Um, unless it has seen time in oak mm-hmm. uh, or in the case of a Riesling, which most of the time we know it doesn't see time in oak, but it has great, it's a it's a wine that can have great ageability um, if it's high quality, um, then, um, you know, it's not intended to age and it won't benefit from aging. So, I mean, we can get into the nuances of what happens to a wine, when it ages. Not now, though. But maybe at a later episode, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I was going to say that you can't make uh, good wine or age-worthy wine with crappy grapes. So you can't just decide, oh, here's the wine, let's see what happens with age. It'll just fall apart. Yeah, totally. Okay. Okay, moving on to the next one. You can't chill red wine. Red wine should be consumed at room temperature. Stop. No, come on. (laughs) No, you can do what you want. Um, But, you know, lots of people think, again, white wine needs to be served chilled and red wine at room temperature. But that is not the case. You can absolutely chill your red down 20 minutes, half an hour in the fridge if it is a lighter style wine. So for that, I'm talking about Gamay grape from um, Beaujolais, talking about Pinot Noir and a youthful Tempranillo, like a Hoven or something like that. Absolutely chill it down and enjoy it because you want to look for wines that have low tannin um, and that's the style that will be really approachable to enjoy a chilled wine. Have you anything to add? Yes, I do, Linda. Um, I think it's worth bearing in mind that room temperature today is a lot different to what it was back in the day so many decades ago. Um, Room temperature, ambient temperature used to be a lot colder. Mm -hmm. Now we use central heating and so on. So our room temperature is a lot higher than what it used to be. So when we say serve at room temperature, we really were talking about a lower temperature Mm -hmm. and maybe ideally that temperature for red wine uh, would hover around, you you could even say 16 to 18 degrees Celsius, Mm -hmm. Um, which you could chill even cooler if you wanted to, um, which is a great option for the summer days and, you know, summer season. There's a, a red wine that came out, you know, it, Fresco di Massi Rosso. Yeah, and it's it's intended to be chilled. It's light body. It, it looks like alcohol. a rosé. Like it looks it, like yeah. a rosé. And in, like, we we put it in the in the fridge and in, yeah. in, in the stores. And um, it's a brilliant summer option mm-hmm. because on those days you're going to be drinking probably a few more glasses than normal. You're spreading it out over a day. It's warm. You're probably having some food. You have some barbecue meat. So it's nice to pair a red, but mm-hmm. it's good to have a light red that's a little bit chill. I think it's because there's, you know, there's nothing worse than a big, bold, heavy red on a summer. Oh, well, I don't know about you. No, Maybe some I, people I, I'm enjoy definitely it. more of a seasonal drinker. I change the styles of wine that I, I prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, and another grape, Zeigelt from Austria. Yeah. is another grape that I enjoy chilled. And a Bardolino, Style uh-huh. wine. It's a lighter style of Valpolicella um, that I personally like chilled. And Barbera. Barbera, yeah. I yeah. haven't had one of them for a while, actually. Yeah. One I want to mention, Linda, is anything but Chardonnay. It's not quite a myth, but it's sort of a mindset that became quite popular in recent years. So um, what's your take on that? Um, ABC, anything but Chardonnay. I find this really interesting because when I host wine tasting, I will usually put in a Chardonnay and it may be an un-oak style. Usually is an un-oak style because I know a fully, you know, a rich, full body, toasty um, oak Chardonnay isn't for everybody and it kind of needs food as well. So at my wine tastings, I would put in an, an un-oak style like a Chablis. And lots of people don't even know that the grape in Chablis is a Chardonnay. So Chardonnay is one of those grapes that can be so versatile. It can be bone dry, really fresh and crisp, or it can have that toasty oak. So I think personally there is a style of Chardonnay for everybody and don't be caught up in the ABC uh, brigade. Anything else? (laughs) No, I totally agree. I mean, I've done tastings where I've said, okay, hands up. If you uh, drink Chardonnay, and there'll be a load of hands down, hands up if you drink Chablis, a load of hands up, and then you explain, listen, you know, Chablis is Chardonnay um, for the most part. And um, 
you you know, it, I think it's 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 important to explain that Chardonnay, as you say, it's so versatile. It can um, produce a completely different style of wine depending on its terroir, its origin, the climate, and so on. The, I'm nodding. Know, vinification, <laughs> yeah. So uh, and look, I, I if I get into this topic, I I'll know, go on. All I know, day. and I love because Chardonnay, like I'm yeah, thinking yeah. about all the fabulous Chardonnays out there. I mean, we're not just talking about Burgundy. When you go to Australia now, they're making and cool climate Chardonnays in New Zealand and so on, Adelaide Hills. They're making fabulous Chardonnays mm-hmm. that are almost some of them. I mean, I straight away think about Sean Smith, like oh, Burgundian yeah, in style, so elegant, so restrained, yeah. nothing rich or oaky or overt or brash about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, it's it's not to make people feel silly if they enjoy a Chablis and they don't know that it's Chardonnay. It's to educate them. That's all. Exactly. That's all what we're here to do. You were going to say something about Wolf Blass. Oh, yeah. So Wolf Blass, I suppose, is where the ABC thing came from anything but Chardonnay because um, when was it the 90s or 2000s that um, Wolf Blast where you know the yellow label everyone knew the yellow label Mm -hmm. um, Wolf Blast Chardonnay and I'll be honest I haven't tasted it for a long time Mm -hmm. Um, but that became completely over oaked and kind of artificial tasting because uh, they were had no definite defined rules the way you would have in European Union wines. So they were able to mass produce uh, Chardonnay in a very oaky style by popping, um, what do you call them? Oak chips. Oak chips, thank you, into a big kind of net, a mesh net and kind of dunk it in. Anyway, um, Antonia, so um, blended wines, are they inferior to single varietal wines? Well, straight away, I have to say no, because when you think about all the amazing Bordeaux wines out there, um, that are, you know, especially at the high quality levels, they're, they're all blends. They're made from mainly from a Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot blend with other varieties supporting. And um, we all know Bordeaux is very much synonymous with high quality wines. Um, and then you could say the same for Bordeaux whites, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon, sometimes a Muscadel uh, variety thrown in there. Um, I think both of us can think of countless examples of blends that are outstanding. Look, listen, think about the... Um, Think about the Super Tuscans, mm-hmm. um, another phenomenal example. So and Amarone, all the wines from... Amarones, yeah, all the wines of Val Policella. Mm-hmm. So, you know the way sometimes you see in the supermarket, for example, you might see Sauvignon Blanc with Chardonnay, with Grossman's yeah. and any, any grapes thrown in together. I think that's, I suppose, what people yeah. might be thinking that they're not as good. Yes. Whereas some people don't necessarily know that Bordeaux is a blend. Yeah, you're right. I think on a lower, at a lower price point, lower quality level, if you see like a wine from Australia and it's, you know, as you said, Semillon, Chardonnay or whatever, it's usually, it's usually because they're trying to bulk up volume, you know. So I think at that level, um, wines can be, blends can be, um, I suppose you could question the quality. Just because, as I say, they're trying to, they're adding in a, another variety to bulk up volume and um, it's not necessarily... Stylistic, really, is it? Yeah. So, so Linda, we decided uh, to add a few did you knows just for trivia's sake. Mm-hmm. Mixing it up with the quiz to keep you excited yes, keep and delighted. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with, did you know Primitivo and Sinfandel are the same grape variety? 
I know you know this, but I think a lot of listeners probably don't because um, Primitivo is obviously a great variety from southern Italy and we see it more and more in the shelves. And then Sinfandela, people either don't know it at all or they think of it as like, you know, your white zin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is like a rosé. It's kind of like a, a bl- what they call blush. In rose California. in California. And um, yeah, so so people don't realise that they are the same grape variety and Symphondel, um as a red wine from California can be absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, produces really big, bold wines with a lot of intensity and complexity, lots of dark bramble fruits and kind of a smoky note. Um, there's some fabulous uh, Symphondels out there. I'm thinking um, Predator. I was going to say, Great so I, I'm actually not the biggest fan of that because you need to really be in the mood for something big and heavy. But yeah. um, And they recently changed the label, which I don't like either. That's right. Sorry. It's like a ladybird. Yeah. But, you know, it has a barbecue smoky yeah. note that's very distinct. And it yeah. could, you know, compare very well with certain types of, you know, obviously red meats and so on. So somebody sell them. Yeah, that do like you? Really, really well. well. I mean, it's, it, it sells well for us. So I know this is not exactly the same thing, but just somebody was looking for that and I couldn't recommend it because they didn't have it where I was working. And um, I said the, what's the name of the Uruguayan Tanat? Garzan. Yeah, Bodega Garzan Tanat. Now, I know it's not mm-hmm. the same, yeah. but it's like it has it big and, and full body, yeah, quite tannic, but that. it doesn't yeah. have that smoky note that you're yeah, talking about sure. with the Zin. But yeah, so that's a good one. Yeah. Um, will I keep going? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you know that Whispering Angel put Rosé on the map? So um, obviously Whispering Angel is an iconic rosé and it's very popular. Um, what a lot of people don't know sort of its origins or, or, you know, how it came about. So it was a winemaker called Sasha Lichine. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. <laughs> Better than me as usual. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he came originally from Margot, the famous uh, region of uh, Bordeaux. Um, and he decided to create a Provence-style rosé following his acquisition of Chateau de Clan, which is where it's made, in 2006. And he, with the release of his Whispering Angel, he ignited the rosé renaissance, or what they call the rosé renaissance. And when he announced that he was going to make the world's best and most expensive rosé wine, people laughed at him. <laughs> um, but with the launch of Whispering Angel, he brought sales of rosé wines to dizzying heights. Wow, we. Yeah. And again, for me, rosé is all year round. Um, and actually, we're going to do a full episode on rosé wine, how roses are made and why the styles are so popular as well. So tune in for that soon. Exactly. Um, did you know? I, I OK, first of all, I have to ex- explain this, right? The movie Sideways. Yes, the movie Sideways. OK. Um, so Sideways, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a fantastic movie. Aside from Hilarious. the wine bit, it's not really about wine. It's just made in the backdrop of two two guys are going on a bit of a stag to wine country. And one of them is a wine connoisseur and a wine enthusiast. And um, <laughs> he's quite a dark, depressing character. <laughs> so it's kind of a dark comedy in many ways. But in, in the movie, um, what's his name? Miles, mm-hmm. the protagonist, the main character, he, he says he's not drinking any effing Merlot. Can I say effing? Yeah. So he says, I'm not drinking any beep Merlot. Right. And basically, um, he's throughout the movie, he's totally obsessed with Pinot Noir and he talks about how how incredible Pinot Noir wines are. And so following the film's release, 
Sales of Merlot were reportedly down for many years and Pinot Noir shot through the roof. But actually, I think that was over over exaggerated the impact of the movie on those sales because um, a study by Sonoma State University said that um, the actual decline in Merlot sales was only... 2% 2% and the rise in Pinot Noir sales was 16%, which I think is quite substantial. Hmm. So more people got onto Pinot from the movie. Brilliant. That's great. I think just watch the movie. Oh, look, you need to watch. We should actually get, do a, a viewing with us, shouldn't we? And I'll have crack. The whole great. movie. The whole movie <laughs> with, with Pinot fans and Merlot fans. Yeah. Pick your side That'd at the movie theatre. That'd be gas, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. Did you know the top five planted grape varieties in the world? What would you say the first one is, Linda? Um, I would say in Spain it's Erlen. Is it? Erlen. 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 But actually... Um, Merlot or Cabernet? Sauvignon. Uh, it is Cabernet Sauvignon. You're number right. One. Okay. Yeah, number one with 840,000 acres. And number two is Merlot. Okay. So you were right in the top two. Um, Chardonnay. Number three. Chardonnay. What would you say number three is? Chardonnay. No. It is in the top five though. Um, Sauvignon Blanc. No. Reed, this no. is surprising. Tempranillo. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so, you know. It's because I drink loads of it. <laughs> <laughs> 570,000 acres. Um, no, but that is interesting because it means that um, obviously that's Tempranillo mainly is mainly from Spain. From Spain, exactly. Wow. Um, which gives you an idea of how much is planted there. Genial. And number four, Chardonnay. Aiden, oh, that you okay. mentioned. And actually, Aiden used to be the number one. Well, it is the, it is the number one white grape variety planted in the world. No, oh, in the world. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it's number four top grape variety planted in the world. Not white, but between red and white, if well, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, number four. And then number five is your Chardonnay. Well, there you go. That's really interesting, isn't it? So two of the most planted grapes are from Spain. Of the top five are from Spain. Well, yeah, huge vineyard uh, area. Did you know, OK, um, that Cloudy Bay put Sauvignon Blanc on the map? Are you asking me or are you asking listeners? Well, <laughs> Well, I know you know, so I suppose I'm asking listeners. I don't know if I'm waiting for them to talk back to me. <laughs> be there a while. Um, okay, so this story is quite interesting. Um, David Honan was a co-founder. Um, he first tasted a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc at a trade show in Western Australia, and he decided this was amazing. So he travelled to Marlborough, where he tasted a few more, and he decided this was the place to produce sort of groundbreaking Sauvignon Blanc. And in 1985, he, he, well, he obviously talked his financial backers into buying some land in Marlborough and um, they released their first vintage then uh, using just 40 tonnes of grapes. Um, and now they crush about 800 tonnes of grapes annually. And uh, this wine certainly was a head turner uh, with its gooseberry, green pepper, elderflower character, but really upfront, fruit forward character. Um, because it is really distinctive, the Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough. It's so pungent mm. and so aromatic. Um, so, yeah, so it was Cloudy Bay. And now 
uh, you would have to pay a pretty penny for uh, a bottle of Cloudy Bay. I think it retails around 35, 40 euro. Yeah. When you think about yeah. how popular it is that people pay that money for a Cloudy Bay, it's, yeah. quite, it's quite incredible, isn't it? When you think of all the alternatives there are in the market. May I add that I can't remember the second. Uh, Kevin Judd Kevin is Judd, yeah. one of the original winemakers of That's Cloudy right. Bay. What's the second guy's name? I always forget it. I can't. I don't. I know. God, I don't know. It's there, but I can't remember for the moment. Anyway, Kevin Judd went off and made um, Grey Wacky Sauvignon Blanc, which is a good tenor cheaper. And To me, that's actually preferable. It's in my top three. Um, Love it. Marlborough Sauvignon Blancs for sure. Um, I absolutely love it. Yes, 100%. And um, the other guy, can't remember his name, went off and did Dog Point. What's his name? Um, but anyway, I met with Kevin Judd at a lovely lunch with him with Liberty Wines and uh, he, he actually gifted me a, a rock from of, of, from the vineyard um, and has Grey Wacky written on oh, it. And that's lovely. Yeah, I'll that's put a picture of, yeah, up of it. Okay, so this is a strange one. Okay, so just bear with me for this. It's not exactly did you know. It's a mm, okay. really interesting. The most expensive wine never to be sold cost $225,000. Did it, What do you mean? Did it just like break at the point of sale? So I'll explain it really, will I? You do, told me this already, I can't remember. Yeah, I know. So in 1989, a bottle of Chateau Margaux 1787 from Thomas Jefferson's collection was valued at 500000 by its owner, a New York wine merchant. He took the wine with him to a Margot dinner in the Four Seasons and a waiter knocked the bottle over, breaking it. Insurers paid out 225000 right. Oh, go away. No, I'll stay here. Uh, I know it's not mental. That's crazy. So the most expensive Wouldn't wine never to be sold cost 225000 I'd say your man didn't have his job for very long, do you? I'd say he was <laughs> got the sack immediately. <laughs> right. Do you know... Matthew's Rosé. Yes, the one in the, the funky little round bottle. Right? Yeah. Old so school, 1980s. It, absolutely. So it is a sweet rosé, slightly spritzy and uh, one of still the best selling wines in the world. The story is that there was uh, the Palace of Matthew's and the guy who decided to create this wine went and popped along and paid him a visit and said, could we use the picture of your palace on this new pink rosé sweet spritzy? sparkling wine that we want to make. And the Count said, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, why not? Give me a lump sum. Uh, your man offered to pay him a little bit of commission for each bottle sold. And the guy laughed at him and said, ah, no, I'll take a lump sum. This isn't going to be very popular. Uh, little did he know. Did know. So how uh, he basically could have made, so basically the Matthews Rosé went on to sell 50 million bottles a year. The Count would have made... More than 25 million escudos. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Never knew that. I always thought it was pronounced Mateus. Whatever. Mateus, Matthews. 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 Matthews right, Rosie. Go on. Wine recommendation, Linda. This week, I have selected a delicious wine that I actually had with you recently oh. when you cooked me a delicious steak. Really? Yeah. Go on. Uh, the Catina Malbec from Mendoza. Okay. It is, yeah. uh, to be honest with you, it's a wine that I haven't tried in ages and um, I brought it to your house and uh, I just said you were cooking me a juicy steak and I felt like a bit of a uh, Mendoza. Now, hang on. I think you brought a Syrah Viognier blend. 
a Syrah, didn't you? I did. I think it was that me that produced the container. <laughs> but good one for trying to take the credit. Okay, well. Come <laughs> <laughs> on. Anyway, tell me all about it. I'll tell you all about it. That I had in your house. I shouldn't have said I brought it because I brought a more expensive bottle. But anyway. <laughs> um, Go on. Uh, the Catena. No, I agree. It was drinking really Perfect well Perfect yeah. with the steak oh my god uh, so like sometimes with a Malbec you want to open it up and let it breathe and all this actually it was really soft really uh, velvet tannins and really silky uh, it had the lovely dark berry fruit that you could actually enjoy it on its own but Janie Mac the, the steak you produced for me the medium rare beautifully cooked uh, piece of beef was just amazing with a, a simple salad and some QB roasty potatoes delicious um, so yes I would highly recommend it it's about the 17-18 euro mark which um, it's a high altitude Mendoza um, Catina Malbec is, is kind of been around for a long time so definitely seek it out in the independent wine shops and it is from um, importer Bendeman 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 <laughs> Bend them like Beckham, like like <laughs> sorry. Uh, how do you say it? Formerly Gilby's. Um, and uh, yeah, should be available in good independence. Do you know what I loved about it? I, it? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was around 13.5% alcohol. Yeah, it wasn't too high. It, it wasn't was, a big blockbuster. Exactly. That's what I enjoyed. So I could have had another bottle. And well, mm. there was a few of us there. Uh, and, and enjoyed it. That it wasn't one you had to sit down for. You had to have food. So it's definitely even what I'd recommend for a daytime barbecue as well. If yeah. you've got some steaks in the barbie. Yep, totally. <laughs> I think Shrimp. we're almost past barbecue season. But um Excuse me, friends of mine barbecue all year round. They just have a little uh, go out and do that point. all year round. Yeah, but it was it was kind of I loved it had a freshness to it and a mm-hmm. juiciness to it and it and a vibrancy to it. It wasn't all, as you say, like sort of, you know, rich and robust. Yeah. And some you know, styles of melt back can be, be that, that heavier style. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I agree with you. I thought it was drinking really well. What's your recommendation this week, Antonia? Well, I was, yeah, kind of from the rich and robust category. I uh, I think I drank this recently and I, it just reminded me of how good Pinotage can be. And I know it's not, you know, one Marmite. of your go-tos. No. I think you're being a bit harsh on the old Pinotage. I, there are some really good examples, but I've probably tried more examples that have been probably lower quality and not great. But the one I hope you're going to talk about... Well, you've, you've, I think you've had this before, the Cannon Cop Estate. Yes, I Pinot like Lage. them. And yeah. Dimmer's Fontaine as well, I like their They're really Pinot good Lage too. As well. um, the Cannon Cop Estate, uh, it's from Stellenbosch in South Africa, and I think it's important to give South Africa a shout. Yeah, They've absolutely. had a hard time, mm-hmm. especially during COVID, um, when they banned alcohol consumption in South Africa and killed, um, and killed the market for wine producers and yeah they really found it hard to get back on their feet but anyway Cannon Cop has been around for a long time I think the most recent the, the vintage I was drinking 2019 for you? go on give it a go K-A-N A-N A-N-K-O-P almost K-N-O-N-K-O-P okay sorry Cannon Cop so you'll get your spelling as well yeah Never let us down. Um, so this one, yeah, it's quite dense. It's bramble fruit. It's smoky notes, tobacco, um, you know, chocolatey. It's got a really full-bodied, creamy 
texture, a hint of baking spice, a hint of vanilla. Um, but it also has lovely tart red fruit freshness in the background. So obviously pairs really well with, um, you know, steaks, casseroles, um, more heartier I suppose, type of dishes. Um, kind of slow-cooked stews and things like slow that. Slow-cooked stews, lamb shoulder. Yeah, it, it is a big wine, so it needs kind of robust But it can, it can live up to a lot of, of flavours thrown at it as well, like if you were making... Yeah, and because it's got the smoky notes mm-hmm. and the tobacco notes, it's got earthy notes, it can deal with, you know, your your lentils and your mushrooms and um, also hard cheeses, of course. Okay. So yeah, Cannon Cop Estate um, retails, it's a bit on the pricey side, retails between 35 and 40 euro. Um, but well worth it, in my opinion, as a special occasion treat wine imported by Finlater. Okay, and can I just say, it is a bit on the pricey side. So there is another wine that they have called Cadet. That's right. Uh, which I would actually prefer because it's not so full on intense Pinotage. It ha- it's a, a mixture of a, a lot of grapes. So it has Pinotage, Cabernet Sauvignon. Petit Bordeaux, I think. It's a blend anyway. It's called Cape Blend and it's only around the 18, 19 euro. So even as a stepping stone, I would recommend going there and then into your full on Pinotage. And um, no, nothing wrong with Pinotage. And let's remind people what Pinotage is. It is a grape from South Africa and a crossing between. It is. It's a master of wine student. It's a crossing (laughs) between. uh, Well, actually, it's a crossing between Sanso and Pinot Noir. Thanks. You're welcome. You have been listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future.